Hey guys, tonight we're going to get uh, just cruising along uh, in our study through the book of Ephesians. How many of you guys, uh, I'm not going to ask you to make noise because I know you guys don't do that that well. So how many of you guys, by a show of hands, and if you want to get a little energetic with some noise, how many of you guys are liking our study through the book of Ephesians? Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Some hands, some noises. That's good, that's good. Um, so we're just going to continue right along because uh, I know... Uh, this book is jam-packed, uh, and we just got a lot of ground to cover um, tonight. But uh, before we really get started, I just want to ask you guys uh, some questions. How many of you guys love uh, mystery? You guys like mystery, like Scooby-Doo or uh, um, uh, the Hardy Boys, uh, Nancy Drew, uh, my personal favorite, uh, Sherlock Holmes. You guys like Sherlock Holmes? I, I, I was actually with a few of you guys uh, this last Sunday night, and we started watching uh, the first Sherlock Holmes with Robert Downey Jr. and uh, it's it's a good movie. Uh, I really wish I could have that ultimate power of being able to like analyze something before it happens and then do exactly what it was. Uh, I kind of get to do that when I preach. I rehearse and then I go out and I preach. But uh, it's not quite the same thing. But mystery's awesome. I love mystery stories. I love mystery movies. Uh, as a historian, I love the history uh, uh, in, in the mysteries within history. Uh, one that just intrigues me, uh, makes me think, and makes uh, many scholars think as well, uh, is the mystery of the Mayans. Uh, they were a great, uh, booming culture, uh, technical, technologically more advanced than anyone uh, in their region, and by about 300 AD, they were at their like ultimate peak of epicness, and then all of a sudden they just disappeared. And like, uh, they are the forerunners for, for the greatest astrology uh, and astronomy, and, and they set calendars. Uh, they're really epic, and then they just disappear. And, and, and so it just baffled historians and scholars like, uh, where'd they go? It's a mystery, and I love mysteries. And chapter 3 uh, of Ephesians is all about mystery, okay? It is all about the mystery of our salvation. And so tonight we're going to look at what the mystery of our salvation is, and we're going to see that this mystery, when it comes to salvation, this mystery is revealed in God's Word. Amen? The mystery of our salvation is revealed uh, in God's word. But before we go any further, um, I want us just to do a little bit of review, because I think it's good for us just to remember uh, what we've talked about. I know some of you guys are taking notes. I say it every week. Please take notes, not because I think I've got something good to say, but because I think God's word has some good things to say. Amen? Amen. And, and, and so I want you guys to take notes. you got more than an 80% chance of remembering things. If you take notes, it's good. I would encourage you guys to do it. And so as we've been going through the book of Ephesians, uh, we've kind of really given it this, uh, this theme. And, and, and then the theme of the book of Ephesians is new life in Christ. Okay? We see that phrase, in him or in God or in Christ, 27 times in this letter to the church of Ephesus. So the really the main focus of Paul's letter here is new life and new life in Christ. What that is, the life of the believer. This summed up best for us can be summed up in three different sections. And the book, like Paul writes, uh, is broken down into three different sections. The first two chapters, which we finished last week, talk all about the richness of the believer. Okay? What we're talking about tonight, we're going to be talking about the reflections of the believer, and in a few weeks we're going to be talking about the readiness of the believer. And what I mean when I say these things, the richness is those spiritual blessings, that spiritual wealth that we have as being part of the family of God. And we looked at what those were, and there were five of those. And I'm going to get to that in just a second. And then from, from the richness, we have the reflection. What are we doing with those blessings? Okay? If we are truly claiming to be followers of Christ, who should we 
be reflecting? Should we reflect ourselves or should we reflect Christ? Okay, and that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. And then that readiness, when we are living with these blessings, when we're operating in our richness, and when we are reflecting Christ, we're going to come under uh, some attack, both persecution from the world, but also we're going to come under some spiritual attack as well, because the devil, he doesn't like it when God's people are furthering the name of Jesus, okay? And so the devil doesn't like that, so we got to be prepared as Christians. We're going to learn how to do some spiritual warfare, and we're going to learn how to be ready in season and out for the gospel. Amen? Amen. So that's the richness the reflections, and the readiness of the believer. So like I said, uh, last week we summed up our little series on the richness of the believer. Our first message was our riches as believers. We are chosen, we are adopted, we are accepted, we are redeemed, and we are forgiven. Two weeks ago, we talked about our resurrection as believers. We were dead in our sin, dead in our transgressions, but God. Two of the most theologically important words in all of Scripture, but God. God changes everything. Okay? God changes everything. And what Jesus did on the cross for us changes everything and it bridges a gap from death to life. And we are made alive in him. In him. That's one of the 27 times it happens in the book of Ephesians. And last week, we learned with our riches, with our resurrection, we have a reward as a believer. We have a shared hope. We get a share in the hope of Messiah, which was a Jewish thing. But we get a share in that hope now because we have been grafted into the family of Abraham. And now, with this shared hope, we have a new way of life. And we can live our lives in a new way. Does that sound good? So you guys kind of feel like you're caught up on the first two chapters of Ephesians? Everyone feel like they're caught up? If you feel like you're caught up, just let me know by saying holla. Holla. All right, there we go. Amen. Well, tonight, guys, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. So turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. If you can't remember where it is, in the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, just remember it as giants eat peas and carrots. It's exactly how I remember where Ephesians is every time. I'm like, giants eat. Okay, perfect. All right, so we're jumping into Ephesians chapter 3 tonight. Um, And we're going to read it, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to move on from there. This is what it says, uh, starting in verse 1. And we're going to read together, guys, uh, verses 1 through 13. I'm reading from the New King James. God's version. No, I'm just messing, but it's all good. Um, But we're going to just read. So follow along with me, if you will. We're actually going to jump into another version uh, tonight in just a second, but it's going to be fun. Here we go. This is what it says. For this reason, I, Paul, prisoner of Jesus Christ, to you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly already written, by which you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it is and has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God, which was given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of ages had been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. 
to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purposes which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations, for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you so much for your word. God, we just pray that tonight as we take just these few moments to look at your perfect word. God, we pray, God, that we would be inspired by what your word has to say. God, that your word would inspire us to live our lives more like you. God, I pray that not only would we be inspired, but God, that we would be encouraged. God, that we would be built up in our most holy faith. And God, that we would be challenged. God, that your word would challenge us uh, to step out of our comfort zones, uh, God, uh, to, 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 to really go and do what you have called us to do. So, God, we just thank you for your word. God, we pray that tonight none of these would be my words. Uh, God, anything that would be of me, may it just fall on deaf ears. Uh, but, God, may your perfect word uh, come through. And so, God, we just thank you and we praise you. In your son's name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Um, I want us to think real quick. I was driving down the road the other day. It was actually last night. I was coming back in from Beaverton, and it was like midnight. And uh, I'm driving, and I'm pulling up along the road. And all of a sudden, I see this thing that at first I thought was a dog. I was like, oh, okay, man, that's a big dog. And as I'm getting closer, I'm like, that's not a dog. As I get closer, I'm like, that might be a horse. And then I realize, okay, no, it's just late. My mind's playing tricks on me. But it's a deer, and there's a deer, like, right in front of me. And this thing was pretty big. I don't know if you've been right up next to a deer before. But deer, they're pretty big animals, okay? They're not quite a cow. They're definitely not a moose. Uh, but they're bigger than your average dog, okay? Uh, and... It's kind of strange just to see him walking. I think it's cool that we live in Clackamas and we have animals just come up uh, into our uh, into our yards. But there's something that's different about animals. Animals are wild, okay? Uh, and animals and humans, we don't coincide very well. Notice when an animal sees a human, for the most part, it turns around and sprints away. Most of the time it's because Alex is trying to shoot it, but that's all good, okay? Um, but, but, but the thing is, animals and humans, we don't coincide very well. Because we have uh, different natures, okay? Animals have a different nature than we do. Uh, people have, or humans have, a specific nature. Animals have a specific nature. Animals are wild, people are tame, so on and so forth. Now Isaiah tells us that there's going to be a time where animals are going to be peaceful and we're going to be able to coincide nice and well, where the wolf will go kick it with the sheep, where the leopard will hang out with the ram, and how the lion will be kicking it with the little child as the child leads them all in a happy parade. Uh, that's going to come in some future day, okay? But that's not now, so I don't encourage you to go play with leopards. Um, but tonight, what I really want us to do, and, and, and this is about the natural and the unnatural, uh, that's going to come into play a little bit later on tonight. But what I want us to think about tonight uh, is unity. We're going to look at the unity of the body of Christ, okay? As, as I told you, we're starting our little series now on the reflections of the believer, uh, and I think in order for us to talk about our reflections as believers, we need to talk about the unity that we as believers have. We're going to talk about our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but we're also going to talk about our mutual relationship in Jesus Christ. Our mutual relationship in Jesus Christ. And we're going to get more to that in just a second. I want to steal Aaron's Bible, if I can do that. Okay. Aaron's reading from the New Living Translation. Uh, it's, a, it's a good translation. It's fun. It makes it a little more... 
easy for us to understand. It maybe goes a little too far in some areas, but that's okay. I still think Aaron's a beautiful uh, follower of Christ, and it has nothing to do with his Bible. It's God's word, no matter what. But I think sometimes when we look at Paul and we read some of Paul's things, you can come away from it scratching your head and like, all right, what did Paul really just say there? Okay, so I want us to read real quick from the New Living, the first seven uh, verses here of Ephesians chapter 3. It says this, When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles. Makes a statement. I am a prisoner for the benefit of you Gentiles. That's what it says in verse 2. Assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me this special responsibility of extending his grace to you, the Gentiles. As I have briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, uh, you, you will understand my insight into the plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it in previous generations, but now by his spirit has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving by spreading this good news. Okay? So you guys kind of get get what Paul's saying here. He says, hey, I'm in prison, and now I'm going to let you know this little secret about the salvation of the church. Okay, and we're going to talk a little bit more uh, about that. Now, this word mystery, how many of you guys see the word mystery in your Bible? Okay. Everyone should raise their hand. It's in every translation. Okay. Uh, mystery here uh, that we're talking about is the mystery of salvation. Now, when we think of mystery, we think of who like some mysterious hidden secret, like what are they going to do? Who's underneath the mask? Scooby-Doo, uh, Jabberjaw, and all the fun cartoons of the bat. You guys know what I'm talking about? No? The Ghost Chasers? All right, it's all good. It's an old cartoon from the 50s. You have to have Boomerang to watch that. Uh, it's a good time. Uh, but we, we like to think of this kind of mystery, but this word mystery here to the Greeks and, 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 and to the Gentiles had a very different meaning. For those of you who like Greek words, the Greek word here for mystery is musterion. I want everyone on the count three to say musterion. One, two, three. Musterion. Yeah, it sounds kind of cool. Um, and, and, and what this word musterion ref, uh, re, refers to uh, was in Greek culture, in Roman culture, in Persian culture, in pretty much every culture except the Jews, um, their religions were pretty much straightly for the upper class people. Okay? And it was kind of like a secret society. Like no one actually talked about that they were in this religion, but it was like this secret myth religion, and they didn't know what was going on. It was mysterious, and it was only for the high-class people. No one in the lower class could know what was going on. They did all these weird rituals. It's crazy stuff, okay? Um, but when Paul talks about mystery here, he's talking about it different, because when he's referring to mystery, he's referring to a mystery that is going to be revealed to all peoples. This is a countercultural mystery. For these guys, mystery was, hey, this is our deal. No one else needs to know about it. This is our deal. No one else needs to know about it. But Paul says, hey, I got a mystery, but it's been revealed, and I'm going to tell you all about what it is. And guys, the mystery here uh, is us, okay? We are the mystery that Paul is talking about here in Ephesians. So I want you to take your finger, now point it at yourself like we so often do, and say, I, I am a mystery. a mystery. Here's the cool part, though. It's not a secret. 
God's revealed some things to us about this mystery. But we, the church, are the mystery. Verse 6 tells us that we, being Gentiles, we share, uh, we are this mystery. It's not a secret to keep, but it's a secret that has been revealed. So as we look tonight, uh, if you're taking notes, the title of this week's message uh, is Revelation, Revolution, and Relationship for the Believer. I just felt as we were going through and giving it an outline, everything started with the R, so might as well keep with the R. Um, the R style. So we're, we're going to be talking tonight, guys, about the revelation, the revolutions, and uh, the relationship for the believer. And this is the revelation that happens, okay? Uh, the mystery of our salvation is going to be uh, revealed. And this was a revolutionary thought for, for, for the people of the time, that Jews and Gentiles could coincide together. They had different natures. It was like animals and people. They can't coincide together. So this was a very revolutionary thought, and this was going to mess with some people's minds. The Jews were not very happy at all. Okay. Now the Jews, God's chosen people, they had kind of in their minds a right to be unhappy about Gentiles being let in because they were God's chosen people. They were a set apart people. They were a holy people given the blessings of God. But they forgot some very important things. The prophet Isaiah, he said that the Jews' reason, Israel's reason for being a holy people was to be a light to the Gentile world. But instead they hid that light amongst themselves and didn't show it to the Gentile world. How many of you guys remember the promise that God made to Abraham? I will bless you and you will multiply and your descendants will do what? Be a blessing to all peoples, all man, all the world. But the Jews forgot these things and they became very, very separatist. It is us. This is me. No one else can have it. I'm a Jew, they're a Gentile, I'm a human, they're an animal. And so this thought of unity is very, very revolutionary to the Jewish people. So much so, when Jesus reminds them of this, you might say, I don't remember Jesus saying about this. Well, John 3, 16, what does it say? For God so loved the world that... He gave his only begotten son. That... Whosoever should believe in him shall not... Wait, wait, wait. Say that one more time. Whosoever. Does that say anyone who's a Jew... Who calls upon the name of the Lord? No. Whosoever believes in him. That means anyone, anyone can come to Jesus. Both Jew and Greek. Both slave and free. Both man, ladies, you too. We can all come to Jesus. We can all have salvation in this. And this is extremely revolutionary. Jesus so much so sums this up in John chapter 10. How many of you guys love the book of John? This is just a side note. Okay, The book of John is ridiculous. You need to read it like every single day. Okay, Because it just paints this beautiful picture of Jesus, the light of the world. And it's so, so epic. Uh, and, and, and I just love what John, the apostle under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has to write down uh, about Jesus. Jesus, uh, in John chapter 10, uh, talks about uh, both Jew... And Gentile being two different flocks of sheep. And he's talking, Jesus is talking to the Jews and he says, hey, I am a shepherd and I have my flock. There's the Jews. But there's another flock that is apart from us. But we will become one flock under one shepherd. They didn't get it at the time. Much like the disciples, they didn't get everything Jesus said right when he said it. And this was 
uh, a problem, Gentiles becoming Christians. So much so that even the leader of the early church, a guy by the name of Peter, you guys know who Peter is? Okay, yeah, yeah. Peter, he's got a problem with Gentiles becoming believers. You guys all remember the story when he goes to Cornelius' house? Well, he doesn't just go right away. God has to prompt him in a vision and eventually Peter repents and says, all right, God, I'm going to go. And he goes and the Gentiles, they receive Jesus, they receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter's jacked about it. He's like, oh my goodness, this is for all peoples. That's what Jesus meant when he said, one flock, one shepherd, boom. And so he goes back to Jerusalem. And how is he welcomed by his fellow Jew church leaders? They're very mad at him. They're like, you did what? And he's like, I was kicking it with some Gentiles. It was great. We ate pig. There was some bacon. It was good. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And, and they're like, what did you just say? And they were freaking out on him. But God, by the Holy Spirit, changes some things up. They get excited about it, and they start going. Um, and this was very hard for them to understand. Uh, it got so hard at times when Paul, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, Paul's mission, he was commissioned by James and the church in Jerusalem to go and preach to the Gentiles. Uh, and this was a problem because some of the people in Jerusalem were saying, yo, those Gentiles, if they're going to follow Jesus, that means they got to become a Jew. And if they got to become a Jew, that means they got to be circumcised. That's a problem to a 35-year-old male who's a Greek. <laughs> Not only is it a problem, it's painful. Okay, And these people were making these guys go through this. And Paul says, hey, hey, no, 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 no. That's old. We're talking about a circumcision of the heart now. And there was this big debate. And hey, they said, you know what? It's a spiritual thing. No longer. But the question that is to be asked is what would a Gentile want with a Jewish Messiah? What would a Gentile want with a Jewish Messiah? And on the other side, vice versa, what would a Jewish Messiah want with the Gentiles? And this is the revolution. Because we can see here in Ephesians chapter 1, do you guys still have your Bibles open? I believe it's good to have Bibles in church. Do you guys believe that too? Yeah. Okay, good, good, good. Do you guys read your Bibles on a daily basis? Yeah. Oh, man, you should. You should. It's good. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul tells us that he is a prisoner. He says he's a prisoner for who? Who is he a prisoner for? He's a prisoner of Christ, but he's a prisoner for the Gentiles, us, for the sake of us, the Gentiles. This is the revolution. Jesus died not only for the Jews, but he died uh, for the Gentiles. Now, I want us just to take a pause real quick. I'm just going to give you guys just a little bit of a nugget of Bible study. How do you guys love it when you get a nugget of Bible study? Okay. Everyone wants to know what part of the chicken the nugget is. Uh, yes, I'm giving you a chicken nugget of, of Bible study. And this is going to help you out. Okay. Whenever you read Paul, sometimes Paul is hard to understand. Okay. The reason why Paul is sometimes to understand uh, is because Paul is very, very smart. Okay. He is very, very deep. Peter himself even writes, hey, sometimes Paul is hard to understand. But it's because he's so deep. And I'm going to give you just a little bit. And this isn't me. I didn't discover this on my own. Okay, There's been people discovering these things about the Bible for a very long time. Okay, But this is the way Paul wrote. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Okay, Paul would write and he would give us a premise. Okay, Everyone say premise. Okay, And then he would pause. And he gives us a large parenthetical insert. Everyone say parenthetical insert. Ooh, say it again. 
<laughs> no, I'm just messing. I'm just messing. Okay, so he gives us a parenthetical insert. What does that mean? Go to English class. You learn what a parenthetical insert is. Have you guys ever heard of a parenthetical citation? It's when you like write a paper and you quote someone and then you put their name in parentheses. This is in in essence what Paul is doing when he writes his letters. He gives us a premise, then he inserts a parenthetical um, little passage, and then he picks back up here in our text. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, is Paul's premise. I, Paul, okay, am a prisoner of Christ for you, the Gentiles. This is his premise. I'm a prisoner of Christ for the Gentiles. And then what he does is he goes from verses 2 to 13, and he gives us this parenthetical sentence. Now, if we could see the original Greek text, which you can if you go online, but you just got to learn how to read Greek, okay? If you look at, I don't know how to read Greek, just if you're asking Okay, uh, but this whole section, verses 2 through 13, in the Greek is one sentence. Your English teacher would probably dock you for a run-on sentence, uh, would dock Paul all the time for run-on sentences, but it's a Greek style of writing. It's a parenthetical insert, and then he picks back up in verse 14, which says, For this reason I bow my knees uh, before the Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay, he says, Hey, I'm a prisoner! Blah, 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 blah. And because I'm a prisoner, now I bow before Christ. So he likes to just set it. So does that kind of help you when you read Paul? Because sometimes Paul's a little bit hard to understand. Pay attention to the commas. Pay attention to the breakdowns, okay? Because it'll make it a lot easier for you, okay? Uh, and don't worry if you got questions, okay? Feel free to ask questions when it comes to the Bible because that's how we can grow. That's how we can learn more, okay? But Paul here is telling us, hey, you can have unity as a body of believers. You can have unity. Why? Because the mystery's been revealed. Not only was the mystery revealed, it was revolutionary. And revolution's good. We live in America. We're not in England because of a revolution. Okay? We have freedom. So revolution brings freedom. And now you can have unity. Okay? And we're going to talk a little bit tonight about the cost of unity. And I think... That's up there, maybe. I don't know. Okay, yeah. Tonight we're going to talk about the cost of unity. I'm going to give you three things that unity will cost us. You guys came to church. You didn't know you were going to be uh, having to pay, okay? Uh, but unity was going to cost us some things. First off, unity will cost you your freedom. We just had a revolution. We got freedom. All right, yeah. And now unity is going to cost us our freedom. It sure cost Paul his freedom. Unity costs Paul his freedom because Paul goes to jail for preaching unity in Christ. Notice what he says. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. He doesn't say I'm a prisoner of Rome. He doesn't say I'm a prisoner of Greece. Paul embraced this worldly freedom taken away to say, hey, I'm a prisoner of Christ. Praise God. How many of you guys can see there uh, in verse 2, if you have the, uh, the, the New King James or some other translations, you're going to see the word dispensation. How many of you guys like that word, dispensation? That's a good word. I like that word. How many of you guys' translations have the word stewarding or stewardship? Okay. Um, both of these come from the same Greek word. You guys ready for another Greek word? Here, here's the Greek word. Oikonomeia. Oikonomeia. Think of a word in the English language that sounds a little bit like oikonomeia. What, 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 what was that? Economy. Economy. That's perfect. That's actually what it means. Economy. Okay? 
And so God, in his economy, the way he does things, okay, in God's economy, um, we are in a new covenant, okay? There's the old covenant, there's the new covenant, and God has his economy, and he's going to do some things. And Paul is to go manage this new covenant to the Gentiles, okay? And with this new covenant that he's going to manage, he's going to preach unity, and he's going to get uh, in trouble, Verse 5 tells us that this new covenant, um, this this unity between Jew and Greek is a new concept. Okay, look in verse 5. You're going to see that it says, this has never been revealed to any previous generations. Okay, the prophets in their wildest dreams had no idea that when Jesus, the Messiah, established his kingdom, it was going to be a kingdom of more than just Jews. This is crazy talk to all the people of the Old Testament. Why? Because it hadn't been revealed to them. Christ hadn't come. His spirit hadn't been given to reveal the truth, to reveal the musterion of our salvation. Okay? And and, and because of this, Paul himself was once a separatist. Paul himself was once Jews only, Gentiles suck. And and, and But the good news uh, changed him. So then the good news changing him, he goes and he preaches first in the synagogue. He's like, hey, I accept Jesus. This is awesome. I'm a Jew. I'm going to go preach to some Jews. To the Jew first, then to the Greek. He goes to the synagogue and says, hey, we're going to accept everybody. They kick him out, so then he goes to the Greeks. Uh, Acts chapter 22 shows us Paul uh, defending uh, his entire uh, his missionary journeys and his ministry. He's defending them to the Pharisees. He says, hey, this is great. We are all part of God's family, the Jews and the Gentiles. And it was at that point they Held on to the freaking out until he mentioned Gentiles. And they freaked out and they drove him out. And, and, and some crazy things happened. Unity is going to cost you your freedom. So we're going to talk a little bit more later on what that means when it says unity costs our freedom. The next one, John, isn't up there, so I'm not going to have you put it up yet. Uh, but this is just a little side note on verse uh, 10. Uh, not only does the unity cost us our freedom, uh, we're going to learn some more things it costs, uh, but the unity uh, costs the angels uh, their attention. Okay? You might be asking yourself, what does that mean? I don't know. Just follow with me real quick. Verse chapter 10. I'm going to read it from the New King James because this is epic and I'm going to ask you a question. Verse chap- uh, uh, chapter 3 verse 10 says this. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God. Now I just want to pause. That word manifold there, the Greek for it, literally means the great array of colors, the great array of smells, of senses. It's just crazy. Everything there is. The great manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, not to the church, but might be made known by the church, to whom? To the principalities and powers in heavenly places. What are principalities and powers in heavenly places? Spiritual beings. What's another word that we use in Christendom for spiritual beings? Angels. Angels. Okay? The mystery of salvation is being revealed by the church to the angels. You see, the angels aren't gods. The angels aren't like God because they are continually learning like we are. Okay, They don't know everything at once. And so God being the teacher, the angels are in the classroom, and God is using us as his, not experiment, but as his, um, as his example to show the angels, hey, this is what's going on. And you might be asking, okay, this is a little bit weird. 
But uh, the angels, they study us, okay? The angels study us. Scripture says the angels are studying uh, us, and salvation is a mystery to them. I'm not making this up. Flip over with me, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 10. Let me know when you get to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, uh, by saying holla. If you're not there yet, say hold up. All right, there we go. I'll give you three seconds. 1 Peter chapter 10. Holla. Chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 10. Y'all there? All right, here we go. This is what it says. Of this salvation. Whoa, we're talking about salvation, this mystery. The prophets have inquired, and they have searched carefully. The people of the Old Testament wasn't revealed to them. They had no clue what was going on. Then it says, uh, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you? Search what, uh, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering uh, the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel uh, to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, the things which angels desire to look into. Angels don't understand salvation. Why don't they understand salvation? They're already saved. No, here's the reason why they don't understand salvation. Because they are in a different place. They don't have the same sort of situation that we have. Okay? And here's the reason why. We were completely imperfect. We sucked. Okay? Humanity sucks. Okay? We are dead in our sin. And the angels, being in the heavenly places with God... Knowing what happened to the angels who rebelled, they were cast out. They're like, man, God, just squish these people. Let's start some new stuff, okay? These people suck. You already killed them with the flood. Let's kill them again. They're just being stupid in their sin. But God, because he loves us, he doesn't. They don't understand this. And then they don't understand that God himself would become man and die. The creator of everything would become man and die for us, the losers, the scum. They don't understand it. Their God, their creator, died just to save us. They're like, God, they don't even like worship you. The angels are before God 24-7. Actually, there's no time in heaven because of eternity. They're always before the face of God, praising God. They're not off like sinning. They're praising God all the time. And we're off sinning all the time. If we were to be honest, we were to take a cumulative amount of time that we spend worshiping, praying, and reading God's word... I would be surprised if we were able to find more than 24 hours combined in this room. Maybe we would. Maybe we would. But if we're truly honest, we might have a hard time finding collectively for a week 24 hours. But the angels, they're before God all the time. And they're like, you did what? For who? And it makes them go a little bit crazy. They, 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 they want to know what it is and why it is, this salvation. And he, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, tells us that they marvel at God's wisdom. You see, salvation isn't something that we do cool. It's God's wisdom. And in God's infinite wisdom, he does this. Uh, he sent heaven's best for earth's worst. Uh, but that's just a little side note. The angels, they're studying you. They're trying to figure out salvation. They're always learning. And they see salvation. And hey, the Bible tells us that one day we're going to judge the angels. They're like, who's judging who? Okay. So hey, we have salvation. 
and we can live for God. This is the mini-sermon. You have salvation. You've been saved. Now go live for God. Mini-sermon closed. The second point. Unity is going to cost us our pride. How many of you guys think you have pride? No, you have pride. And if you're not raising your hand, that's a little prideful, okay? we got pride, okay? And pride's a problem. Uh, pride, many theologians have said, is the root of all sin. Pride is the killer. Everything stems from it, okay? And Paul, in verse 8, he says he's the least. Um, some people would say, oh, that's false humility. Uh, but no, I truly wholeheartedly believe uh, that he was just overwhelmed uh, that God had chosen him for this mission. Okay, uh, And this is a place where we should be. As followers of Christ, as believers who are reflecting Christ, we should be overwhelmed by what Jesus has done for us. How many times are you overwhelmed where you are lost for words because of what God has done for you? How many times are you so overwhelmed that you can't even speak because you're so amazed at what God has done for you? Or are you just comfortable in your Christian outerwear? Or are you overwhelmed? God uses us. Paul was overwhelmed that God uses us. Uh, verse 11 tells us that the folks in uh, Ephesians were embarrassed that Paul was in jail. They're like, oh, our leader's in jail, whatever. Um, that's kind of crazy. But Paul uh, Paul bridges this gap and says, hey, don't... Don't be embarrassed, okay? Don't be embarrassed for me. Um, I'm doing this for you because of Christ. And I think this is really cool. Uh, I'm going to move along because I know I only got like 10 more minutes. Uh, so not only will unity cost us our freedom or our pride, unity uh, costs Jesus his life. Okay? We're bringing it away from us because it's all about him. Okay? Uh, not only is it going to cost us our unity, I mean our our freedom, and our pride. Uh, but ultimately, unity cost Jesus his life. Uh, verses 11 and 12 point us back to the cross. Okay, And uh, uh, Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 that we, the church, would be one just as he and the Father are one so that the world may know, so that the world knows. And, and, and then the question, I think this is the important part I really want us to focus on tonight, Um but if we are seen by the world, the church, if we are seen by the world arguing over petty things, fighting over petty things, um, we're not different than the world. The world needs to look at the church and see unity. It needs to look at the church and see Christ being, uh, uh, being proclaimed. Acts 20 uh, talks uh, and, and talks all about Paul. And, and, and it's the last time Paul is with uh, the church here in Ephesus. Uh, he's talking to the elders. Uh, and he says, hey, uh, this is God's church. This is God's church. This isn't your church, man. This isn't your church, pastor. This isn't your church, worship leader. This isn't your church, elder. This is your church, God. The church is God's. And not only is it God's, but it is God's because it was bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. The church is God's because it was bought by the blood of Christ. The church is important to God. So much so that he shed his blood for it. And I want to ask you guys the question. If it's that important to God, is it that important to you? Is it that important to you? Is church that important? Uh, biblically, 
the church is the pillar of truth in the world. Uh, and if it's that important to him, how important is it to us? The American church, uh, and, and I'm, I'm going to close on this, so Bo, I'm going to ask you to come back up uh, and grab the guitar, and we're going to close here in just a second. Uh, but guys, the American church, um, for probably the last 100 years, okay, uh, the American church has done something um, that uh, many of us have grown up on, many of us have probably uh, talked about, have preached about, have said um, but the American church, the Western church, has pushed very heavily for a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And how many of us would agree a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is necessary? Amen. Yeah, it is a necessary thing. But what we've seen in the evolution of, of churches in America and the churches in the West is that this personal relationship with Christ has drawn so many people to go off by themselves. And now to where we're in a point, we're in the hotbed of this here in the Pacific Northwest, where personal relationship means, hey, I can make God whoever he is because it's just between God and me. It's all about my spirituality. Oh, I'm not going to go to a brick and mortar church on a Sunday because I'm going to go out to the forest. I'm going to feel God's presence in the wind. I mean, seriously. Okay. But, but, but that's what's going on in our world today. Um, and we've, we've really OD'd on this. We've overdosed on this personal relationship thing. Um, and we have no need. We, the church today doesn't feel like they need to gather anymore. They can just go do their own thing. And, uh, and this is 100% unbiblical. I'm, I'm just going to be flat out honest. If you're not going to church on Sunday, if you're not going to church and fellowshipping regularly with people, you're living unbiblically. That's a dangerous place to be. Okay? We can become spiritual drifters. All go when I feel like it. And what we're talking about, guys, is we're talking about something that was so important to God that he bought it with his own blood. The church, he bought it with his blood. It cost him his life so that you could have unity. And we're saying, oh, I'll just go when I feel like it. The church never be second because the church wasn't second to God okay the church was not second to God and if we're truly going to reflect Christ as believers with our new life in him we must reflect Jesus together in his house in his body as his people I'm going to say that one more time because that's important if you are truly going to reflect Christ with your new life in him then you must reflect Christ together in his house, in his body, and as his people. Jesus, and, 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 and this is the end, okay? I'm, I'm coming to a point. Jesus wrote a letter to the church of Ephesus. Paul wrote a letter, but Jesus also wrote a letter. You can find that letter in Revelation, okay? And Jesus says, hey, church in Ephesus, you're in trouble. You're doing all this great stuff. But you've lost something. You've left your first love. Unless we lose our first love in this whole spirituality thing, God wants us to be united. God wants us to be get together in Him. You gotta realize, guys, that not only is it a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but we need to have a mutual relationship in Jesus Christ. You can't do it alone. 
No matter how epic you think you are, you can't do it alone. Okay? And God never intended you for to do it alone. So we need to remember, as we lo- uh, keep our first love, as we as the body of believers strive to love God, that's going to spur us to not only love God, but to love people, love the church, and to serve others. Get out there and reach the lost. This is the last thing. The Taj Mahal. How many of you guys have ever seen a picture of the Taj Mahal? Did you know the Taj Mahal is not a palace? It's not a castle. It's actually a tomb. Okay? Uh, the Taj Mahal, one of the most beautiful structures in all of the world, uh, is a tomb. Uh, and it was made by a Mongol leader to bury his wife. Okay? Uh, and, and his wife died at a young age, and they put her in a casket, and he said, I'm going to build her the most grand mausoleum. And so they put the casket in the middle of the field, and they start building and building and building all around it. And they just build for decades and decades. And at one point, the king, because he's out there building also, he bumps his leg against something. And he looks down, and he goes, who put this wooden box here? Who put this wooden box here? Get it out of my sight. And so his servants come, they pick up the wooden box, and they throw it in the river, and it, Close way. And it was the casket that was holding his wife. And when I think about this, it reminds me so much of the church today. That we get so caught up on building the extravagance. We get so caught up on, oh man, I'm preaching out of this today, or I'm gonna see this and this and this, that we forget the purpose what the church is all about. And the church is about coming together in unity to see the lost find Christ. When it comes to the Taj Mahal, uh, the purpose was being eclipsed by the moment. The purpose was being eclipsed by the moment. And so I want to ask you guys the question. We're going to go to prayer here in like 15 seconds. Okay. What is eclipsing you? What is blocking you from living fully for the Lord? Fully reflecting Him. Being in full unity one for another. Because I can guarantee you this, it isn't, God's not putting anything there to block you. God hasn't put something to block you. Uh, we tend to build walls to block us from fellowship and to promote separation. But the separation was never meant to be because it was revealed. It's revolutionary and it's all about relationship. So tonight, as as we close in prayer, I just want you guys all to bow your heads and close your eyes. This is the real closing. There we go. I want you all to think about what is in your life that is blocking you from fully giving yourself, not only to God, but to the body of believers. Saying, hey, I don't need to argue anymore. I just want to go serve. I just want to go live what God has called me to do with my fellow brothers and sisters. Because that's the way the gospel is going to spread. Is when we do it together. So we're going to pray. And as I pray, I want you guys just to yourself, between you and God, Confess of maybe the sin that's blocking you. Give up the things that you've put in God's way. Maybe it's not a gross sin. Maybe it's just, hey, I'm lazy. Confess it. Give it unto God. 
happens. Here's the deal. It was worth Jesus' blood. And he died so that we could have unity. He died so that we could have salvation in him. So let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word is perfect. It's always perfect. It's for every century, every decade, every millennium. God, your word never changes. God, we thank you that your word tells us that you loved us so much that while we were still sinners, you died for us. God, and in your shed blood and in your death and in your resurrection, we can have salvation. The mystery of the ages has been revealed at the cross. And God, it was your prayer. You prayed that the church would be one just like you and the Father are one so that the world may know. And God, we repent for the times that we have fought with one another, the times we have argued, the times where we have not been one. Not only as the collective church, but God as us as individual living stones to build up the church. God, forgive us of the times where we have not been in unity, where we've served you and served the world and served you and served the world. God, and our body was in disunity. God, forgive us. We repent. And God, we pray from this day forward that we would be one. Because it was important to you. God, may it be important to us. May we come together. May we not forsake the gathering together of the saints. God, for one purpose and one purpose alone, that the world may know. So God, I pray that you would empower and encourage each and every single person here to go out and to live in unity so that their friends, so that their family, so that their co-workers, their classmates, whoever it may be, that they may know that there is a God who loves them, that there is a God who cares for them, and that there is a God who died so that they can spend an eternity with him in heaven. God, and as, as we close tonight, as we go into this song, God, where we together, lifting up a shout of praise in unity where we're going to declare let the amen of God's people sound God let this be our declaration tonight so God we thank you and we praise you in your son's wonderful and beautiful name Jesus Christ and everyone said amen amen, let's stand to our feet guys and let's declare these words together